morning. Turn to Matthew 22, 23. All right. Matthew chapter 22, verse 23. We're going to be in those 10 verses there. Um, if you're our guest with us, we are working our way through the gospel of Matthew. Uh, over the last year and a half, we're going to finish this summer, Lord willing. Uh, that's the plan. Uh, so but that's what we're doing. So right now we're in this phase where Jesus has come into this. He's done all of his ministry out in Galilee, Capernaum, and lots of other places. And he's come into the city of Jerusalem, and he's stormed into the temple, and he's turned over tables, and he's corrected all the temple leaders about all their nonsense. And, and he has been um, being tested again and again and again by different factions. Um, we've seen Pharisees and Herodians so far. And, uh, and so Jesus' response to these tests, these challenges, is being recorded by Matthew. And I, I had int- originally intended to just like, like do all of those challenges in one, in one sermon. But as I began to read them more closely, I was like, man, they're just really rich. It's like, you know how it is. Like you think you've gotten pretty good at something. And then you're challenged and you find out kind of what you're made of, you know, and where you need to grow. Um, the, it's the challenges where Jesus, you know, he gets challenged by these folks, and that's where you see, like, oh, this thing about Jesus, or oh, this thing about Jesus that you didn't that you didn't see before because he wasn't challenged, um, or it wasn't time yet for him to reveal what it is that he wanted to reveal. And so that's what's going on in the last couple of weeks here. So last week, he, Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees with regard to the relationship between being a uh, person who worships the one true God and paying taxes to Caesar who thinks he is God. And so what do you do with, with that? that? What's the ethical dilemma of that? And, and Jesus' answer reveals uh, a lot about what he says to be true about the way we relate to the state. Okay, And so you can go back and listen to that sermon because I promise you I will never preach it again. But ever, okay. Uh, ever, ever, ever. Okay. Uh, but so today, uh, Jesus is challenged by another group, and we learn something about the afterlife, a, a much happier topic than taxes and government relationships um, in, the, in the deep south of America. The okay. world is still fascinated with the afterlife, right? And it doesn't matter, like, what angle that you're coming from. We talked a little bit about this today because Jesus was dealing with demons, right? In our Sunday school class, if you were paying attention, that's what we talked about today in Sunday school. Um, Jesus and his power and authority over demons. Well, um, uh, regardless of where you're coming from, this topic is interesting, okay? If you just just think about it a little bit. So if you're like a neurologist, a neurologist is fascinated with the brain activity that is going on as people are passing away. Just last week, I love it when I find this stuff in the news and I'm going through the Bible at the same time. Just last week, uh, there was a study where six people uh, had been in incapacitated on life support for a long time in comas. And so they got permission from the families to do this test where they hooked up their, you know, they connected to to be able to read the brain activity. And um, all of them were already dead, but they had, but they were being, they were being, their bodies were being supported through life support. And when they removed life support from them, their brains lit up like Christmas trees. Okay, before they, they passed away. So if you're a neurologist, you're like, what in the world is going on there? It's super, super cool, right? If you're a psychologist, okay, you, um, you marvel at the fact that people who have passed away and then been resuscitated have very similar 
stories to tell about their experiences, their, their commonalities that breach that. So that's fascinating if you're a psychologist. If you're an entertainer, this is TV gold, right? Um, there have been some books that I don't want to mention because I don't like what they say about heaven, but even from a Christian perspective, but there have been some really good TV and really some bad TV and movies made about this. If you, if you want to see something interesting about our world's view of this in, our, in the form of entertainment, go watch an episode of The Good Place. Uh, that's made only made it two seasons, so I guess it wasn't that interesting. Um, but it's really interesting perspective of someone who was really a terrible person dies and accidentally gets goes to the good place instead of the bad place, and the impact that she has on the good place is not good. Okay, it's really interesting. So, wouldn't it be interesting knowing that we all have this perspective and this interest in the afterlife if Jesus actually said something about this? If he pulled the, the curtain back a little bit and spoke about life after death. And he did in this passage. Okay, So we're going to look at Matthew 22, 33 to 33, and learn just a little bit about what Jesus says with regard to the athlete. But first, before I do that, okay, there is a significant point to be made um, with regard to Jesus and how he related to the different institutions of his day. In particular, I say this because of what happened last week. I told you I wasn't going to talk about it, but I'm going to talk about it, okay? So last week, Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees. And this week, you can see this in verse 23, right? This day, some Sadducees came to Jesus, okay? So now Jesus has had Pharisees, Herodians, and now he's got Sadducees who were coming up and talking to him. So what's going on there? Well, Pharisees, if Pharisees were <laughs> if Pharisees were the fundamentalists, okay, then the Sadducees were the mainline denominationalist. All right. So if if the Pharisees for uh, I'm gonna use a Disney illustration. Okay. Okay, whatever. All right. If the Pharisees were the Mandalorians who never took off their helmets, this is probably falling flat for some of you. Thank Westham's like, yes. Okay. Then the Sadducees are, you know, they are Bo-Katan Krees who took off her helmet, but she's still a Mandalorian, right? Right? But there's just no way the Pharisees and Sadducees are ever going to come together, which is a spoiler alert if you haven't watched season three. Okay? So in this encounter... Jesus is um, going to rebuke Sadducees quite firmly. I'll come to that here in just a little bit, okay? And you might think that now, because last week and many weeks, Jesus has rebuked the Pharisees, the conservative, the fundamentalist, and now he is rebuking the liberals, you might think that Jesus is like the perfect moderate, like, he's figured out the magic. He's found the way to appeal to both conservatives and liberals on both sides of the aisle, and he's done it by walking right down the middle, okay? And you could not be more wrong, okay? Jesus is not a moderate, nor is he a fundamentalist, nor is he a liberal, okay? Jesus is entirely other, you're not going to put him in a category. Here's why. 
Jesus is far more conservative than any Pharisee. He's actually holy. Right? And he's far more liberal than the Sadducees because he doesn't just care for people in need. He actually dies for them. Okay? So it's a whole other category, y'all, which is why... Okay, which is why no one on the left or the right in this world can claim to have a perfect relationship with Jesus. If you're going to walk with Jesus and you're a right-minded conservative person, he is going to scathe you, particularly on social issues. And if you're a liberal-minded person, he is going to scathe you, particularly with issues related to gender or sexuality and on and on I could go. So if you're a Christian walking in this world, you're going to upset everybody because you don't fit a category if you're trying to follow Jesus in this regard. Okay? So, but don't come to the conclusion just because Jesus has criticized Pharisees and Sadducees that he's a moderate. He's not. He's other. Okay? None of those things. Okay, no more politics. All right. Look at verse 23 and 28, and I'm going to read and explain as we go. Look at verse 23. That day... Some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came up to him and questioned him. So like I said, the Sadducees are these theological liberals, um, and yet there's some things that are weird about Like, so they only believed in the Pentateuch as their authority of Scripture. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Nothing else. Nothing else. None of the stories of the kings, none of the prophets, etc. Okay? The Sadducees didn't believe in a spiritual realm. They just didn't believe that it existed. So the afterlife, a resurrection, angels, demons, things that we've just talked about in Sunday school today. The Sadducees were very ivory tower. You could find them in the university, right? Speaking very erudite. Um, Pharisees, for all of their intelligence and all of their uh, snobbery, holding it over people, they were actually more blue-collar, a little more working class, right? So the Sadducee is coming to approach Jesus is not a sincere question. They have this we're better than everybody else kind of mentality when it comes to uh, an understanding of, who, of Scripture. It's interesting is that they don't, they don't believe in God. They do believe in God, but they don't believe in this spiritual realm right? That God, it's just for the now. It's just for the now. It's just what we see in this, this life. So they, they, they're going to come to Jesus, but their question that you're getting ready to read is not a sincere one. He's not genuinely curious. They're not genuinely curious about the afterlife. They are doing this to trap Jesus in the same way that the Pharisees and the Herodians were trying to do earlier, just in a different way, okay? So look what, look what they say in verse 24. Teacher, Moses said, again, they only believe in the Pentateuch, so that's they're going to their authority. Moses said, if a man dies, having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, this is not an American practice. <laughs> so some of you, this is a family kind of church, so some of you are looking at your brothers and sisters going, don't even think about it, or whatever. Right? Like, it's just, it's, this is not an American Western thing. But in Moses' day, this was the Bible. This was the law. This was the practice. And it was very practical and very merciful. So in, in, in Moses' day, 
it was an agrarian and patriarchal culture. Uh, so everybody, you know, raised crops, grew animals, do all the things it's now super hip to do. If, you can, if you're fortunate enough to grab land somewhere around and do this, like raise dogs, camp, or whatever you guys, I'm just kidding. We were talking about elk hounds earlier, um, which is really weird, but we were talking about elk hounds, and they're really cool. I'm excited about elk hounds now. Um, but, in, but in Moses' day, this is what it was an agrarian and patriarchal culture. So you got married, and your husband's out working in the fields, and if, you, if your husband passes away, which happened often, you were, as a woman, completely done for. You're probably not going to be able to get married uh, of, of your own volition or some other man that's not going to choose you because you've already been married and you're, in a sense, defiled in that culture. You can't just get a job, pull out the classifieds or pull up a, an app for TaskRabbit and, and find something to do to take care of yourself because it's agrarian culture. You can't own any land. You can understand as a woman that you're in a real pickle and so um, the Lord created in the law, Moses created in the law, this, um, this, uh, this policy that would provide for a woman to be cared for if her husband died and she had no children to take care of her, right? and particularly no sons, right? So she, if, she, if her husband died, she would, the brother had the responsibility, had the requirement to marry her and continue the family line through her. Okay, so that was it was a wonderful act of grace and mercy. Okay, so that's that's why they're using it. But again, that doesn't really matter because the Sadducee is using this to trap Jesus, and Jesus is going to use this to share something about the afterlife with us. Okay, here's what's going on. Look at verse 25. So so that's they, they set up they set up the whole thing, and they said, now there were seven brothers in this scenario. Jesus, there were seven brothers. The first one got married, and he died, and he had no children. He left his wife to his next brother, and this okay, which means she's probably a murderer. But that's okay. That's just a scenario, right? <laughs> just, just a trend, you know. If, don't overthink it. That, that, that's not what's going on. Last of all, the woman died. Well, finally, yeah, right. No, I'm, I'm teasing. You see what they're doing? Like she, seven brothers, and she's had to, because of the law. She's had to marry every one of them, verse of the seven, because she married all of them. See how stupid the resurrection is, Jesus? Even your own laws don't apply. Okay? That's the core assumption in the Sadducees. All that matters to them is what happens in this life. It's a worldview of this is all that matters. has been a people group, a, a train of thought, a worldview that says this is all that there is. And the choices that people make associated with that worldview impact everything in their life. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That's what that is. It's always been around. Okay? So if, if all there is is this, but you say that there is an afterlife, Jesus, then at least the rules of this life still apply in the afterlife. That's the assumption of a, of a Sadducee. So it's not a real question. It's, it's a joke. It's meant to affirm their own position. It's meant to discredit Jesus in the same way that the Pharisees were trying to do. So look at Jesus' response. In the same way that when he said what he said about Caesar, he revealed something absolutely amazing about the relationship between us, the church, as, a, as believers, and the government. Jesus 
as it so happens, peels back the curtain. Now remember, he's, 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 he is speaking against their test. Like he's answering their test. And answering their test, he peels back the curtain and reveals something about the afterlife. That's, a, that's so cool, okay? Look at verse 29. Jesus answered them, you are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For, here it is, in the resurrection, there is one. They neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now, concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? Quote, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Okay? So, verse 29, you're mistaken. That sounds super nice in, the, in, in English in, in the South. It's like, it sounds like, no, 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 listen, brother, I, I get where you're coming from, but I think you might be mistaken a little bit. That's the way we say it. In the Greek here, Jesus, <laughs> Matthew is translating Jesus' Aramaic as like a stiff arm. <laughs> okay? So if it, it's, it's, it's not you're mistaken, it's wrong. <laughs> okay? It's like if Derrick Henry were running a football Right, and you, you tried to tackle him, and he would stick out you know, his right arm and just kind of throw you to the ground. That's what Jesus is doing theologically and rhetorically in this moment. Okay, it's super strong. He's like a, 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 you know, a Jewish Derrick Henry or something. Okay, so that's weird. I can't believe I just said that out loud. That's all right. So, so wrong, and there are two reasons. Okay, I just stiff-armed you. Okay, wrong. Why? Because you don't know the Scriptures. And he's not talking about all the things after Deuteronomy. He's using their scriptures that they trust, right? And you don't know the power of God. It, now, those things could be synonyms, but in this context, they're not. They don't know the scriptures. Secondly, they don't know the power of God. Verse 30 is the explanation of them not knowing the power of God. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. Here's what I mean by you not knowing the power of God. Here's what I mean, verse 31 and 32, about you not knowing the scriptures. Okay? And in both of those answers, we learn something about the nature of eternity for us as followers. So here's the first thing that we learn. Verse 30. The power of God is love. The power of God is love. Verse 30. In the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Okay. So uh, this week we had a, um, there's a, a young lady that has just really poured into our kids. She's in her mid, mid-20s, and she came over for dinner Monday night. We cooked dinner for a belated birthday kind of thing. And, um, and uh, for the last few months, she's had like a significant other. And uh, Abby Jane was sitting next to this young lady and was just, pinging her with questions, you know, about the nature of this relationship and how are y'all going to be together if you're living in two different states and how is this going to work and all that, you know, all the, all the love. And Luke said, oh, Willow, oh, sorry, that's her name. Shouldn't have said that out loud. That's okay. She said, she goes, oh, just ignore her, Abby. She just wants to learn more about love. She just wants to learn more about love, right? And what the conversation was doing is what the text does, all right? The, the, the questions were equating the highest order of love with marriage. And for good reason. It is a covenant 
relationship that in some way points to the gospel, which I'm going to come to in here in a minute. Okay? But that's what, that's, what, that's what we were doing at the table. We were equating that the highest form of love is between a man and a woman in their covenant marriage. Okay? So look what Jesus is saying here. He says, in the resurrection. So number one, there is an afterlife. There is an afterlife. But then he says, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. In other words, the way that love relationships work in the resurrection, when Jesus comes back and there's a new heaven and a new earth and all that's one big creation, I mean, it's just one thing, one new creation. Because of the power and the love of God, the highest form of love on earth pales in comparison to being in the presence and love of God in a new heaven and a new earth. It pales in comparison, right? So if marital love is like a firecracker, right? Then love in the new heaven and new earth for God and for all of us, one another, is an atomic bomb of love, okay? Jesus says, to be an angel in heaven right now, there are no relationships between angels that are marital in nature. They are so consumed with love for God and by God's love for them and how that permeates all of their relationships with one another, they constantly experience that. And that's what it's going to be like for you and I in the new heaven and the new earth. The power of God is love. If you want to know what the afterlife is going to be like, it's going to be a love fest. It's just love, 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 all them, even for the introverts. You're going to like it. I'm going to like it. It's hard for me to believe. Or maybe I'll get left alone in my love, and that'll be just fine. And I'm just really happy in that regard. But there's just love. That's what it is. It's love. There's no weddings. Because there's no marriage. Marriage doesn't exist. The relationship that Holly and I have now, which is a high order of love, a high form of love in this world pales in comparison, so we're not going to be... The relationship is redefined not by the bond that we have with one another that tries to symbolize the love that God has for us in Christ. We're going to be in the love that God has for Christ, and that is all that there ever can be. Okay? It's the power of God of love. Okay? So, in the resurrection, there's no more single people, no more widowed people, no more divorced people. We have a bridegroom. We're all married to him and all wrapped up in each other and his love for us. It's the power of God. It just redefines relationships entirely. The power of God is love. Poor Sadducees. You completely misunderstand the power of God. And you do not know your Bible. How so? Look at verse 31. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead... Haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, Sadducees, but of the living. I love the fact that Jesus meets the Sadducees where they are. He does this every time, even when he's stiff-arming you. He meets you right where you are with that stiff arm, right? They only believe in the Pentateuch, so Jesus goes straight to an encounter that Moses has with God at the burning bush in the book of Exodus. And in that encounter, God identifies himself to Moses. And Moses has not been a good person. (laughs) He has run 
for good reason away from all the things. He's just out. He is in the most obscure of obscurity. And, and God comes to him and identifies himself as someone who currently is the God of Abraham, who has long since passed. The God of Isaac, who has long since passed. The God of Jacob, three men, long since passed, but who are in an, inter- an eternal relationship with God. Okay, So Jesus is saying to the Sadducees, if God, God would not introduce himself to Moses as the God of a person who no longer existed. And if you would just look at your Bible, you would know that God's eternality is shared by those who are in relationship with him. He's the God of the living. The eternal God only knows life. So the other thing that I think is fascinating about this conversation with Jesus is that he does the opposite of what I and this have done as well in conversations or topics. We're talking to people about, about the afterlife. So when I grew up hearing uh, and later doing as a like maybe even like two weeks ago, <laughs> um, is I would, I would say I would begin with an argument for the existence of the afterlife and then work to compel others to believe in Jesus so that they could enjoy the afterlife, right? Here's why you need to follow Jesus. There's an afterlife, and if you want to enjoy Jesus, then you need to believe in Jesus so that you can enjoy the afterlife. Okay, and Jesus, that's not, that's not at all what Jesus does in this moment. He does the opposite. Uh, I've been, if I, if my illustration is to put the cart before the horse, okay, because what Jesus does is, he doesn't say, there is an afterlife, and if you want to uh, under, get into a relationship with me, you, 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 that's where it is, like you've got you've to believe in the afterlife. And Jesus says, no, what you need to do is you need to get into a relationship with God. And then you'll come to understand that, yes, there is an afterlife. He's the God of Isaac, Abraham, of Jacob. He is in a constantly living relationship. And you can, you can experience that now. And if you can experience it now, then you will experience and you'll come to see that there is an afterlife where you'll enjoy him forever. Forever. I think that's really cool. You can know God now, right now, and, exp- and begin to walk in some of the truth of the eternal life right now in the finite, right now. So let's do that. Um, last week, we sang uh, 10,000 10, Reasons, right? And uh, I don't know if y'all do this during where I do this probably a little bit too often, but, but always I watch the faces of our worship leaders, okay? And I take videos so that I can use it later in memes. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not doing that. <laughs> about, I'm watching their, their, their faces. And last week, I, Sam is actually the one that I watch the most, brother. I watch you the most. Excellent. Yes, sir. You're right. You're right. Not only because I like, I'm like, how does he do that to a guitar? That's part of it, Right. But, but the other part, but last week in particular, we were singing 10,000 Reasons, and Sam couldn't help himself 
because, and because of what he was thinking about and what you were thinking about. I don't know if you remember, but you were like, let's do it. Like I told Weston afterwards, like, Sam is ready for heaven now. He's ready right now. And it made us want to get ready right now, right? That, that is possible all the time. Because he's the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not the dead. So, knowing that the finality of it is coming, but knowing that he who will reign already reigns in this time, right now, let's enjoy him. Let's let the the reality of an afterlife impact this life and live in that gospel truth. And I invite you to do that, to come to Jesus the first time. If it's the first time, start now. Start today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the picture of the afterlife that Jesus gives us in this glimpse. Uh, in this, even in this rebuke, these tests are so great. These challenges, peel back the, just pull the curtain back a little bit for us to see these wonderful, wonderful things. So we know, we affirm what Jesus says. There's an afterlife now, but you're the God of the living. Here we are. So help us live in the reality of that life even now. Even now, trusting you, entering into relationship with you, following you, believing you. And then, when the new heaven and new earth, and we see the the fruition of it, to enjoy the power of God and the love of God forever. Make it true. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.